Oh, look at that. I knew something about a punk band. Just some old fat drunk dudes jumping up and down. <laughs> this tree just planted itself right on top of the cement. I did watch a YouTube video today. My dad mashed potatoes of Enema Chris Carava. Aaron doesn't know who Chris Carava <laughs> is. It's so good. That's great. Hey out there, welcome to uh, another episode of The Punk Tree. Glad you guys are here, glad you're checking this out. Um, I got uh, Mike and Aaron here, and we, uh, as always, are just going to start off by just running through just what's on the current playlist. What have you been listening to uh, recently, um, Mike? Thanks, Jesse. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm excited about this episode, actually. I'm really looking forward to what's coming later. I think a bit of an aside, uh, I've actually been listening to quite a bit of... Um, of Pedro the Lion and, and David Bazan um, the last, uh, I don't know, three weeks maybe. Um, his album, uh, the Pedro the Lion album that came out last year, Phoenix, was one of my top 10 albums, uh, a little sneak peek. It was one of my top 10 albums actually the last decade. I really, really, really liked it. Um, the first couple tracks, especially, they, they're kind of one song, but the, the song Yellow Bike, um, is like a tearjerker for me and so been digging through that and also watching some live stuff um, that he had done over the last few years You mentioned that that uh, that whole record made your top ten albums of the entire last decade. That's pretty sweet. We'll have to uh, do some sort of top ten uh, albums of the last decade. We'll do a rundown. We'll do a whole episode yeah. on that sometime yeah. soon. Yeah, I'm I'm such a tease. I let one out. <laughs> How about you, Aaron? What's uh, what have you been listening to recently? Uh, yeah. So thanks, Jesse. Um, in light of kind of everything that's going on in our culture has really been affecting um, what I've been listening to. And uh, it's really drawing me back to Dead Kennedy stuff, um, especially um, Police Truck, which uh, I think everyone should listen to. It's a, a great um, song that was representing something that happened way back in the 70s, but it's incredibly relevant now. Um, in addition to that, uh, Big Wig's Reclamation has been on my playlist quite a bit in the last few weeks. Nice. And of course, what you mean by everything going on is um, yeah. the protests and writing around police brutality and the systemic oppression of African Americans in our country. It's a round of time with a good horse. We're going to drive one screaming off the street and ride. Well, uh, what I've been listening to recently, um, I just want to highlight two things uh, because I saw some live music um, just this past week. Um, first, uh, about a week ago, um, a local band, Mainsail, had a little uh, collaboration with some a new company called Shredsville, and they had like this whole professional stage audio lighting and everything live stream and i was able to watch that and they're awesome i love those guys and then just a couple of days ago um 
sort of similar live music, it was, but it was Switchfoot's uh, Bro-Am. It's a thing they've been doing for 16 years and it raises money for lots of really great organizations. Um, this year, I believe they raised around $50,000, but uh, they had a bunch of guests on this live stream, um, including um, Judah from Judah and the Lion, as well as uh, Need to Breathe. And But anyway, Switchfoot had the, the biggest set and um, they, they were a ton of fun. I like danced around my living room with my children and it was uh, a ton of fun. So on this episode, we're going to get to uh, an interview that we, uh, we recorded with a good friend of mine um, named Kwaku Aning. And uh, I think just like queuing it up, this is, this is a longer conversation than we normally have. Uh, on the show um it was uh we, we are specifically talking about music as a means of um processing i believe and and a music as a means of protesting even um when there are things that come up or things that chronically um affect society and so uh you know usually we try and keep the conversation a little more limited on time but just be prepared um as you listen forward there was we were not going to cut this conversation off um we get into some pretty significant topics um the language on this episode also gets uh it's it's probably our most explicit so far i think the <laughs> f word count is in the many dozens uh and so just be prepared for that um but uh it was it's a great conversation it sort of builds from who we are and our identity and gets really into uh some some significant music history and how uh and how it's aligned to it all um you'll hear from all of us uh jesse aaron and myself um but really the voice of uh of our friend kwaku as he shares his experiences and then uh and bridges some gaps too between like different genres of music um, we get into history. I think we talked about everything from like civil rights to now to Greek history. We kind of jumped all over the place. Um, yeah, so we hope you enjoy it. We do have Kwaku here. <laughs> and I, I love to, for us to just like, Kwaku, maybe tell us about yourself. How about that? Um... I, uh, my name's Kwaku. I, my parents are from West Africa. My name means born on Wednesday. Um, I also have two kids. I am now afraid to give out their ages, so I won't. Uh, <laughs> um, similar, Aaron, I don't know if you're a musician, but similar to Jesse and Mike, um, I play music for, I guess I still do, but in weirder ways um, for 30 plus years. And I've done everything from being in bands to uh, being a musical extra on Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, Mike, I don't even wow. think you know about this. Wow. That's Where amazing. That, which one's the dumb Trump? The, I mean, All I know it's, that's a loaded question, but the tall blonde one? Ivanka? No, the guy. Uh, oh, uh, Eric. is that Eric? Eric. Is that Eric? Eric. I met Eric on that. Was he too, dumb? Like, Oh my God, it's, it's like, this was like 2009 when everyone still loved Trump. Um, and I remember meeting him in New York at least. And I came home and I told my wife, there was just nothing there. You know, like when you meet someone and you're just like, <laughs> you're like looking for a spark to know that they're not like, um, 
like a mannequin or something. There was just nothing. Like his lips were moving. He was really tall and his lips were moving and his eyes were moving. But when they lied, just nothing. Have you had that experience with someone where you're just like, you know? I, I, I probably have, but I wasn't also on The Celebrity Apprentice. This is some amazing Kwaku trivia. That's like random, random. Okay, can wait, can I just get like the next level? Like, why were you a musical extra? What does that mean to be a musical extra? Why were you on The Apprentice? Because one of my gigs, I was a jingle singer. And so I was signed to a jingle singing agency. And then they were the ones like the the show contacted them. And they're like, send us a headshot. And I was just like, I don't know if you want this picture. But then I sent it to them. And they're just like, okay, you're good enough. Um, And so wait from a headshot. Basically, I mean, like on the agency, you had like a website where they could hear you sing and, and all of that. And, and so like, uh, so uh, Sharon Osbourne, Brett Michaels, and Cindy Lauper were also on that episode. And uh, Cindy Lauper was tremendously um, mean because I couldn't tell her what keys I sang in. I was like, I don't know, just, you know, play something on the piano. It was, yeah. It was, and they edited, like, she like publicly embarrassed me, but then they edited it out of the show. That's like a the whole thing so i no longer like cindy lopper and i don't believe that she has true colors <laughs> so she wasn't there to just have fun then no no jesse jesse for the win yeah girls are there to drag you in front of holly pete and every all the other celebrities that are in the room okay mm. but you but you did not get a chance to meet the donald trump he was no Eric was in his stead. Yeah, write that down, Jesse. I'm, no, I'm writing down Cindy Lauper is not nice. Wait, so what is a musical extra? Is that so the a backup so singer or what? They had basically a thing where each team had to write a jingle for a business, and mm-hmm. so then they brought in teams of jingle singers, and I was one of the people on the team. If you've ever oh. been, well, this is a dumbass question, but if you've ever been on a reality TV show, it is literally just as fake as you think it is where it's just like, you're in a room, and then they have you in a waiting room, and then all of a sudden they bring you to the other room. In the other room, there's people with cameras. And then like the producer will be like, well, uh, I think uh, at this point, something's gonna happen over there. You should look over there. Or, and then you look over at someone who was just sitting next to you, and all of a sudden they have a microphone, and they're huddled up with a celebrity. And you're like, well, what is happening here? That Wait, is- So you're saying reality TV show- It's not real. It's fake. Yeah. Oh no, it's re- the things really happen. <laughs> the things really happen. It's like- speaking since everybody's an educator like learning takes place in a classroom it's the illusion of reality like (laughs) the producers are the teachers and they're creating these scenarios that allow things to happen and so like the fights are like carefully scaffolded out so that they occur within a certain time period not what we're here to talk about i I just want to drop a random fact i feel like i've known you for a while (laughs) we're going on like five years or something Uh, yeah and i feel like more recently we know each other fairly well yeah this is this is a highlight of you (laughs) and i didn't know it like now that you're on the show you lead with and i was on celebrity (laughs) apprentice and eric trump is an imbecile no, like he vacuous. Didn't say he was an imbecile. He said vacuous. Was nothing he said was, yeah, vacuous. Nothing. That's a good word. Okay. Vacuous. Uh, well, so I don't know if you guys have seen because this just what, the picture that comes to my mind is, is the way SNL portrays him, and like the the cast member is Alex Moffat, yeah. and he absolutely just plays him like perfectly. 
Is it yeah. perfectly? Yeah. My gosh. Okay. That's, I now like I know you the think truth. it's a joke, but it's not. And for anybody listening, I trust Kwaku with everything. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so did you guys watch um, Parks and Rec? Yeah, of course. Yep. You remember when? Um, oh my goodness, John Ralphio. Well, no, um, one of my favorite characters, the girl, April. April. April's a uh, um, an intern in DC, and they mm-hmm. have that politician come in, and all he does is sit and like just stare at an empty desk all day, and they're wondering if he's a robot. Yeah, remember that. Was yeah, it like that. Uh-huh. It was a combination of that, and then the guy who was like the Sweetums' son. Yeah, running for office against Leslie, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but he I had way Donald more personality. Is the Sweetums Corporation in America? <laughs> <laughs> That's Paul great. Rudd. Paul Rudd's character. Yeah, Paul like, Rudd's, yeah, Paul not Rudd. As much, not yeah. as much personality as Paul Rudd, but very similar. Yeah. At least Paul Rudd's like apologetic for being yeah, like totally a is. mean ass, like like an asshole who's dumb. Right. Like at least he's apologetic. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's good, man. So a question I have. <clears throat> Can we find this jingle? Oh, man. I, to be honest, I've, I've not looked for this show since it aired. I've already given you way too much information, so now you can probably look it up. Okay, I'm going to try. torture me with it. But... I'm going to try. <clears throat> Most well, of the show is me looking there, like, sitting there like, that's like, every time the camera comes to me, I have that expression on my face. So one of the things I have loved about you, we have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And and we got to know each other really deeply. We we got we were at a, a conference. We're both like teachers and we were in, in Texas at a big education conference hanging out, eating a yeah. lot of fried chicken and having a good time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh one of the things where I feel like we found some common ground was we do both love music, we appreciate mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. Um, we also I think both kind of like have this kind of gravity toward um people who have something really profound to say mm-hmm. and and like a bit, a bit captive by that like i want to hear you because it seems like you have something you really need to share yeah um and so like uh, maybe to kind of like push us into this conversation a little bit we are we are living in a time quite the time right now um you know ideally we'd all be hanging out having a drink or something and high-fiving and hugging and saying hello <clears throat> but we're living through this weird quarantine where everybody is kind of a victim and uh, to their own devices, um, captured by stuff. And we have just experienced some of the most publicly traumatic history um, in, in recent Americana, I would say. I don't know if that's an under or overstatement. Um, I would push but, back on that last part. Please, please do. Um, and I was, I was having this conversation with a couple of friends. I don't think we're witnessing the most publicly traumatic parts of history. We are just um, fortunate or unfortunate enough to be able to see it from the perspective that we haven't had before. And so the example I would give is the woman in Central Park. This is what I talked about with all my friends recently. The thing about that that is so jarring is that you don't see the guy. You only see her. And so, you know, you've heard this expression like white gaze, all of that you literally get to, it's almost a VR thing, experience it as a black person because you hear his voice and he sounds calm and then you're watching her. And then if you watch the whole video and you have to, near the end, she calls, she's like, um, someone's attacking me. And then she says it again, but she ratchets it up like she's in a movie. And the fact that she was threatening that power and then she did it. But the most important, if you're watching it from a third person perspective, 
because the guy's big you know you'd almost be like sympathetic you're like oh well he is big even though she was the one coming to him and he was like no please back away ma'am but the fact that you don't see him that i think that created the lens for everything else that's happened because if you look at a lot of the protests it's not just black people who are protesting it's everybody because everyone's like oh oh that's what that's like that's for me it's like when i lived in new york when my friends would see me not be able to catch a cab and they're like oh that really happens that but more traumatic so i just got really heavy sorry no no i I, so i appreciate that i i i I think i i really do i thank you for it i the word maybe i got hung up on there was americana Mm. um i had a really great professor in college and he was a, I was a literature major and, and he was focused on American literature, but really what he taught was Americana as this sort of like canon of not just our literature, but a canon of like our Americanness, right? The things that make us who we are. <clears throat> and I, what I have been feeling, and I would really love your perspective on this because you're what you just said, like, peaked something in me like it's not just black people it's everyone mm-hmm. i would nudge back like it's not quite everybody right? okay like, good call it's not quite everybody it's a lot of people it's a lot of people maybe we didn't see 50 years ago and now we are seeing mm-hmm. more of um but i wonder about that like the word americana and the and that americanness of what is happening I wonder if you have thoughts about that. Like, where are we and where are we headed? Where have we landed maybe for a moment here? So that, you know, that that's a really, uh, do any of you guys teach history? No, no, you do, obviously. So that's why you're asking the question. What, you know, what is this? What is the Boston Tea Party? I mean, yeah, there's a full on, yeah, Jesse has two middle fingers up. Like, I, I think it's absolutely like we, we refuse to continue with this if we are not going to have a, a seat at the table. You know, it, I mean, this, every, even the whole concept of the American Revolution, no taxation without representation. We, you know, we don't think that this is fair. And so these are the actions that we're taking collectively because we are frustrated with what is happening. We've tried other things that didn't work so now this is happening you know it's what i mean it's what kids do it's what you know at a certain point if you have a pet it's what the pet does if it's being treated poorly mass as a mass that's what we're doing there's nothing more american than what is happening now the difference is that we have this combined culture of revolution and and people who are comfortable with what exists and so when you said not everybody is at the, uh, at the protests, you're right. I mean, to be honest, I didn't go to a protest. We live in San Diego and I'm scared shitless to go to a protest because there aren't a lot of people, at least in our neighborhood, that look like me. And so with what I was seeing in cops, I'm like, man, I got kids. I, I mean, it, if you're in New York, it's a different scenario. And I know in, in La Mesa, you go further east, um, you're going to see more people of color, but the stuff downtown, I'm like... No, because this is the same conversation my mom gave me when I was nine, or the same talk. Something is happening. And we moved to the suburbs. I live in the Bronx. Everybody was black and Puerto Rican. And then we moved out to the suburbs and everybody was white. And me, I was in fourth grade. I'm like, I don't care. I'm riding bikes with whoever. And I was like, you're going to be hanging out with your friends. They're going to do something wrong. You need to run. Because when the cops come, you're getting blamed. So that, 
that those are the rules. I, those are the rules of life that have, are, are like the, the things that have helped shape my worldview. So going back to your original thing, like and all of that is American, you know, uh, both, and, both sides of it, all of it. America is built on capitalism for capitalism to work. You have haves and you have have nots who more naturally fits into that slot of have nots than the people who weren't, no, who didn't necessarily book passage here, but helped to build things like the white house. <laughs> I know it sounds like a Paul Mooney bit, but Right, right, right. Even the Kremlin has some color in it. (laughs) (laughs) That might be the name of the episode. I love it. That might be the name of the episode. (laughs) And I appreciate that about you. And I, you know, not to keep like digging into who you are, but I think there's some value here. And like you have experienced some of this having, you know, I'm from Southern California. I'm born a couple hours away and I lived, I've lived here my whole life. Um, Aaron's from Southern California ish close to here Jesse's from California the Bay Area you can't get much Mm -hmm. more liberal than the Bay Area so here we are Um, but you've lived in New York you've lived in Memphis like can you can you like talk just a little bit about that like that experience of like growing up moving to the suburbs but then you've had this sort of journey across a couple of different like parts of the landscape Uh, so New York is New York isn't that far removed from Memphis. The difference between New York and Memphis is um, is uh, uh, the the class system goes up as opposed to out east. So for the way Memphis works um, as a city, it's a great city, amazing food, um, really weird gun laws as a state. But the way it works, um, Nashville is east of Memphis, and so if you guys are familiar with the term white flight, oh, once sure. they integrated the schools in um, Memphis, what ended up happening is people kept moving further east out of Memphis. And then they finally ended in Nashville. And so the further east you go from downtown Memphis, the more suburban, southern, uh, uh, monochromatic it becomes. And you know, I know this is also a music podcast, Memphis is soul, it stacks. Nashville's country and so like that progression is is physical it's also cultural Memphis is this I don't I don't even know we could probably google this I don't know how many how many people live in the city of Memphis but there are a ton of private schools why because the private schools that were also religious schools served as like a kind of barrier for integration and so they all sprouted up with these, you know, like, and I'm not gonna use any school names, but they all have uh, Christ or whatever in the name or some sort of religious reference in it. Um, all of those things served as sort of uh, barriers to, you know, for people to um, uh, keep their kids or, I mean, I guess historically the way this revolves, it's around women, specifically white women and black men, keeping them separate. And it, you know, so there, there's that, but if you look at New York City, it's the same thing. It's just different. It's just, it's more, it's more block to block or neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood. And the way wealth works in New York, it is about the views that you have. So the higher up, you literally, the access that you have to buildings, uh, to floors and buildings that are higher up, that's how much money you have. So, so, so both of those places are, are sort of a, 
a hotbed for creativity. Right. Exactly. New, New York City, and, and you, I, I know a little bit, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this some, um, obviously is known as like a media capital. People mm. are creatives like crazy. Memphis is one of the music like pinpoints of America. Players, some of the best players today. You go, you go out to any bar in Memphis and you're like, wow. I mean, next to like, I, mean, I think New Orleans might be a little bit better, um, but players, amazing musicians. Yeah. And so that, that is like, that is what this show is focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you have a background in that. And I think during this time, um, you know, the, the three of us on uh, Jesse and Aaron and I, we, we've been talking about this a lot lately <clears throat> of just sort of like all of the things that, I, and the, the, the word happening is the wrong word because this is not something that is happening acutely right now. Right. But this is sort of a condition that we are in. And now we have some forms of media and storytelling and some, some sort of cultural interest right Mm -hmm. now, but these are not new things. Um, But the things that have been said in some of the music that we listen to, and, and, you know, we're a punk rock like focused podcast, but I think we could talk about music more broadly, Jesse, Aaron, if you guys are cool with that. A little bit. Um, like this is like music has been a place. Uh, I don't know if it's some sort of like bastion for this or that, but it's been a place where our culture has found a means of both being super pissed off mm-hmm. and that's okay. And it's also been a place where we've been able to find some reconciliations in some ways. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and I, I know you were prepped a little bit on that, like before we were going to chat. Um, yeah. But I, I'd love to get your take maybe on like, the question of like how how has that been a thing for you or even where have you seen that for yourself like where do you see music serving as that thing across any genre like all over the place it is the uh it's it's like the live stream of our of our emotions in a way so it's funny like you know because you prep me and you're like hey you know we you know we all the three of you guys come from like a punk rock background and so a little bit of like, well, a little bit about me. This podcast is not about me. I'm just making a lot of, well, this particular jokes. one is, so <laughs> yeah. there you go. But I, you know, I was I lived in the Bronx until I was in fourth grade. And so I remember, cause I'm old enough when like hip hop literally started. And ironically, like my cousins from Queens, we live in the Bronx. My cousins from Queens came and they're like, dude, if you heard Run DMC, we're like, what are you talking about? And so they're playing us this stuff and we're all dancing, we're singing. And so, you know, up until fourth grade, I was like, well, you know, there's um, what, I, what I would hear in the home. So I would hear, um, uh, you know, my parents are from West Africa. So I'd hear a lot of high life music. Um, my dad was really into jazz because he went to college in the sixties in Kansas city and jazz and funk and all that and then and then you would hear hip-hop you know and that was it and those that's what you would hear around you and then we moved to the suburbs and uh and when you know i remember going to school and i remember seeing kids like sitting in the corner listening to hip-hop and just cracking up and i was like oh is this not something that's cool like this what you think is funny is the thing that we were celebrating like you know a month ago where i used to live you know fast forward like five years those guys were just like the hardest dudes in school like (laughs) you know 
but for me it was actually great because then i got to discover all this other stuff like motley crew and ozzy osbourne and you know and the ramones and and what was the 80s so it was, it was like acdc but you know all this stuff and so all my cousins were like oh, he listens to the satan music um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's our cousin kwaku he does he worships the devil um <laughs> how's everything with you um <laughs> so it's been really unique to be able to see it's great when you're seeing a lot of the same messages in different genres of music but it means the same thing you know where people are whether um whether it's public enemy um or or um and i'm totally spacing on this what joe strummer what group is he in clash the clash you're listening to the clash you're listening you know what i mean um you're listening to bad brains you're just seeing all these things come together and the the general trend is like when a lot of this really amazing music is being created in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and in parts of the 90s it's because there was a lot of really 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 fucked up things happening in the world so, so this is the thing, like, I am, I think we all are, like, I happen to be a, a public school teacher, and I, I happen to have history as a credit that I, <clears throat> I give to students, right? right. Um, but as a student of history, and I, I encourage people to think of themselves that way, we are constantly encountering stuff. Mm. Like, it's not like a thing you can decide or not, you are encountering it. And I have felt for a long time, like one of the greatest dangers of sort of, uh, it's almost like a, a postmodern, like American laissez-faire. Like, like there's this like version of the like postmodern American that's kind of mm -hmm. like, eh. I think people call it millennialism maybe sometimes, but like there's a thing of just like, it's going to work out, right? Like I grew up in a Chicano community right? and, and, and the word we would use for that was like manana, right? Ah, manana, like it's going to work out tomorrow, man. Like just, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. Um, mm. it, but that doesn't mean that we are not encountering the thing. Of course, of course you are. All of like, us are. It is still facing us. It's just, are we facing it? Right. And, and what I love about music, you know, and I maybe and we can find some common ground. Like there's some, some blend places like rage against the machine is a perfect like crossover yes. thing, right? Like there's yes. some spots where we can like really cross over genres here. Um, one of the things I love about some of my favorite music, uh, and these guys on the pod, Jesse and Aaron know this, like, I don't really care as much sometimes about the music as I do the lyricism. I, I think mm -hmm. I'm a lyricist first, and then I care about music. That's okay if people are not like that. It's all good. But something that I have loved is just like the unafraid thing, like the bravery or the courage of some songwriters to just punch something in the face like i'm yeah. not afraid of this thing and i'm going at this thing um and really it's almost like the music itself serving as a protest in its own right yeah um and i don't know if you have great examples that you mentioned some really good ones like for sure i brought up rage against the machine you brought some good hip-hop mm -hmm. um i think what of a tribe called quest especially lately there's been some fantastic stuff especially their last album their yeah. last album there was a lot of that yeah um 
uh, what it was, uh, was it Judgment Night? I don't know if you guys have, I'm going way back. I'm, I'm dating myself. No. But that soundtrack is a really great example of what you're talking about because it was like one of the really first, um, you know, besides like Run DMC and Aerosmith, one of the really, one of the first examples uh, that showed how well these two things fit together. Right. Hip hop and rock music. And, um, and just so you know, dude, pretty much everything with Emilio Estevez, I have taken it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was the Mighty Ducks. So like me and Emilio, Emilio! Like, was oh, that him? No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, um, whether it's Dead Prez, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, with them. Um, Raging Against the Machine is like the best example of that because Zach De La Roca is just, um, and I mean, maybe there's a level of it. Of, I mean, from what I'm hearing, you know, in the streets of him being a little uh, bipolar. Um, but yeah, this, this is the, you know, I mean, but maybe part of that eliminates the fear because I know, I know a couple of people who've been successful musically and you, you get used to, you get used to the views. You, you get used to, you know, having access. And then you're like, well, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I've no, I've not experienced anything close to that, but the idea of like, oh, should I say this? And the moment you start asking, should I say this? Versus saying like, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Or exactly. I need to say this. Like not just saying it. I, I listened to that song today with my wife. Like he says it in an understated way. And everybody knows the song Killing in the Name, right? And, and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll slip it in here, right? But like everybody knows that song. And it was a major hit. Like, it was played on MTV. The video was all over the place. And it is literally this Chicano man mm -hmm. yelling at the top of his lungs over and over again. Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me over and over again. And we had this conversation. It was one of the first conversations we had where I was saying, I like that. I like, I really, I love that album because A, it's brilliant. And it, and there's, there's so much there where it's just like, I under, kind of understand where you're pulling this from, but it's so original and it is so amazing. It was so needed to me, Evil Empire, the jump from that first album to Evil Empire, where Zachary LaRocca started reading a little more and like, and you saw that reflected in his lyrics, Bulls on Parade. It's my favorite song lyric. What we don't know keeps the contracts alive and moving. Oof. Talk about just it. Just think about that. That's, that's Talk about every, that. Talk about just, that. Just though. think about that. Think about how that applies to um, how much funding your school, your local school gets, to what your role is in society, to why it is literally legally possible for the government to just turn on your computer and record what you're saying. What about the police? Oh, even, I mean, it's not even, that's even, I mean, that's talk about, let's easy. talk about it. Let's talk that, about it. But, why is it too well, easy? Why do we assign so much power financially and society and from a society standpoint to police? If, if we're really going to dig into this, why? Because they're, they're, they're supposed to, they're supposed to provide a, a service and protection. But that's, that's well, seems that's, important. That's the line that that's we know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
What don't we supposed know? to? Supposed but to. But there's also been systemic things, right, where they've like cut funding to uh, mental health facilities and like drug treatment facilities, and then just pushed all that responsibility onto policemen officers. Yeah, I said policemen officers um, who are not trained to do that and don't receive any training ever to really handle that. And then, you know, we just put them in jail. That's it. And we put them in jail. Then they, you get the recidivism. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah, recidivism. Um, And then we just have created this system. Who owns the jails? How many, here's, here's a better question. How many of those jails are privately owned or run? Too many. What we don't know keeps the contracts alive and moving. How many judges have we not heard of? Because there have been a few that we have heard of who are literally getting kickbacks from these organizations from sending young men, most of them who look like me, because I think at one point it's like one in four black men have spent time in jail. Think about that. And so, but literally, why is that happening? So we have the first thing. We have the concept of capitalism. You go, you know, we talk about socialism like it's a dirty word where it's just like, well, everybody's pretty much the same. We have a couple of people who maybe have a nicer Volvo and some people who have a less nice Volvo, but everyone lives the same. That's socialism. It's horrible. But the dollar and a dream, there was this ad campaign in New York. All it takes is a dollar and a dream. There's a way to get people to play the lotto. All you need is a dollar and a dream. The idea that one day we're going to be at that point, at that Trump level or whatever you want to call it, where we have those views because we live in a country where this can happen. But really, can it happen with concepts like redlining, with how schools are funded based upon where you can even buy to live based upon who you are? There's, there's one half of this, which is just about the straight money grab. I'm a judge. You're these kids. I don't really have a lot of respect for them. I'm going to give you a really harsh sentence. You're going to go to this facility. I'm going to get paid. There's that, level one. Level maybe 15 is, well, we need to have the ability to have someone who can come close to becoming a trillionaire. For that to happen, people need to live in their cars because that's how capitalism works. We talk about one side, anybody can make money, anybody can make something out of themselves. Yes and no. And that's bigger than just this country, you know. Um, my cousin, she moved to France, she married a guy from France, she moved there. And, you know, she's, she's brilliant, you know, she went to Duke for law school she would get uh, you know, interviews and she'd show up and they'd be like, oh, sorry, job's been filled. And that happened to her for like months. That, that's the systemic part. Oh, man. There have to be haves and have-nots. I mean, I, we were talking about rage a lot and that's cool. Like, I don't mind. I think rage is the landing spot here because I, yeah. I and I don't know. Like, how old were you when you digested that? When you, when you first got rage against the machine? middle school high school no i think i was <laughs> that's how old i'm i think it was a freshman in college i think that's when that first album came really? out. okay yeah. yeah okay you're not that much older man oh my god I'm get ancient. over it dude get over <laughs> it you look like you're like 26 it's blur it's dark in here um <laughs> stop it stop it but i'm just i'm thinking the ghost of tom joad which is a bruce springsteen yes. song but it's one of yes. my favorite rage against the machine songs and if nobody has heard the version from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame of Bruce Springsteen with Tom Morello playing Ghost of Tom Joad. It's it's bananas. It's so good. It also has a bit of storytelling leading into it. 
which <clears throat> I know it's a punk rock podcast, but like if you haven't seen like Bruce Springsteen's VH1 Storytellers, go watch it because there's something incredible about what he was trying to do as a fairly mainstream, like a really mainstream guy um, telling some story. And, and in many ways, I feel a heart for it because he's like fighting for his people, right? Fighting for the working class of his own kind in New Jersey, like trying to make it happen. Um, but there's that line in there that you just hit on, like, welcome to the new world order. Families yeah. sleeping in their cars in the Southwest, no home, no job, no peace, no rest. Yeah. Silver line stretching round the corner. Welcome to the new world order. Families sleeping in their cars in the Southwest. No home, no job, no peace, no rest. Well, how is alive and night? But nobody's kidding nobody about the big gold. I'm sitting down here in the campfire line Searching for the ghost of Tom Jones <sighs> There's, I don't know, man. Like, I do like history. There's a line from a Greek uh, historian I really like. He says that the, the egalitarian culture of Athens in like 5th century Athens, which we always think of as like the golden age of democracy. Like if you take like mm -hmm. a, a whitewashed history class, that's what they teach you. Like, you know, Athens had it all right. This historian says like, well, that egalitarian class, which is like that equality-ish feeling class where everybody got to vote was predicated on the subjugation of a helic class outside the city. And what people don't know about Athens is that democracy there was a class of working people outside the city that were doing like the farming and all the stuff. And once a year, they would go out and they would massacre a portion of the helots to make sure that they stayed obedient. Yeah. Like, like we maybe are not doing that so belligerently, but it's almost like we're doing it with more disgust because we're doing it systemically. I is that an that. overstatement? Is that too no. big? No, I don't think I don't think that's an overstatement at all. I mean, I think that I mean, well, I mean, of course, I'm gonna agree with you because I feel like you're you're reiterating what I was saying before. But we 100 percent do it. Think about what the, think about the bailout, man. We are not talking about music at all. I was I was just opening up <laughs> Spotify. I'm like, I need to I need to reference more song lyrics. But think well, we can get to that. It's okay. But think about the bailout, the way the bailout worked. Okay, actually, this is a really interesting point. So you get twelve hundred dollars a person. What they're not talking about with the bailout is that if you qualify for it one year and then let's say uh, your 2021 taxes, you no longer qualify for it, you owe that money back. It's factored into your taxes. But the PPP thing, the big bailout that they gave to companies, where it's like if you have a certain amount of money and if you don't fire anybody between March and June, you don't have to pay it back. So essentially the companies don't have to pay it back, but the people do. That's an example of the massacre. Because then how do you ever get ahead? Where's your dollar in your dream? Oh. And how is it that a company is worth more than an individual? 
I yeah, mean, I mean, one of the most famous songs in the punk rock genre, I think that, and and not trying to push a music, it just came to mind, like the song "Perfect Government" by No Effects is is a canonized song. I, yeah. I don't know if you are familiar, Kwaku, but I actually love No Effects. That's part that's part of my suburban <laughs> exploration into music. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's a suburban band that made everybody's parents disappointed in them. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, the the hook of the song to go to go a little hip hop here. But the, the hook of the song is how did the cat get so fat? Yeah. Why does a family die? Do we care why? And I've heard that song since I was a, a early teenager. I realized most recently. So how did the cat get so fat? Is the like nursery rhyme sounding line of that? But the line that's most effective to me now is. Do we care why? Yeah. Do we actually give a shit about the construct and how things are being driven? How can they sleep at night? How can they sleep at night? How did the cat get so fat? How did the cat get so fat? Now, Fat Mike, the guys in No Effect, like, this is, these are really, really smart people. Like, these are yeah. really brilliant people who are saying some profound things. I mean, Aaron, you know No Effect's probably a little better than I do even. But, like, yeah. Th- I mean, this is one song. They have a canon of music again, like a, a, a library of music that are, like, trying to help us understand this all. I would say them and also Bad Religion. And that guy's brilliant because he couches it in biology, but he's still talking about politics, you know? Good. No, that made me think of uh, American Jesus by Bad Religion. Um, And I can't remember if it's the chorus or one of the lines is, uh, I feel feel sorry for the Earth's population because so few live in the USA. Um, And there is that kind of dichotomy where we have made a lot of progress in some ways, but we still have like so many people held down within the system. So many like th- barriers that we just keep setting up that don't let people get through. Um, so we can say, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. People don't have the, um, I'm making air quotes blessing of being in the usa uh but it's still so fucked up and Um, aaron and the next line of that song is i i had to look up because i thought i knew it and i was i was right like the next line is at least the foreigners can copy our morality right yeah oh that's the best yeah. part okay okay i love that you brought that up because people keep talking about how the protests a comparing what's happening right now with what's happening in beijing and and the difference in the protests because when you when it's happening in another country then it's like oh well they're they're fighting for democracy and we need to and, and, and we need to support that and then when it's happening here it's like well why would they mess up their own neighborhoods <laughs> Who, who chooses to do that? You know what I mean? 
you're, you know, it's like you'd see those bands and they'd like trash the guitars at the end of their set. And there'd be a part of me like, well, why is he messing up that perfectly good guitar? What, what is he? It's like he's getting it for free, whatever. But there is, I, I, I can relate to the idea of like, all right, this song is over. But, you know, take Nirvana, for example. Why is this guy jumping into the drum set? Why must they, why is it, the, why do they need to destroy their gear at the end of the set? There's a level of it's the, that's theatrics, but it's a level of it. It's sort of like, I'm singing this song, I'm screaming, I'm doing whatever I'm doing, but I still don't think you're getting this. You need to see violence to understand it. And that is the most American thing we've talked about. Because violence is, is the punctuation to all of these sentences. Oh, do we need violence? As, as a country? Yes. Why do you think there are protests now? Wow, Jesse, Jesse's making a face. Jesse, come on. We haven't heard you too much, but do we need violence, Jesse? I don't know. I don't <laughs> like it, though. I wish, I, I wish. I'm not asking if you like it. I'm not asking if you like it. Do you rally around your family with a pocket full of shells? I don't think it's the answer to, to these massive problems. Um, I think I think it gets voices heard, and I think that's worthwhile. Jesse, let me ask you a question. Did people hear Kaepernick talking about, did they really hear him talking about police brutality by kneeling? Who are people? Because I did. I heard him. I, good, good point. We'll, we'll say um, we'll say larger organizations, people at large, uh, you know, um, can I can I clarify, Kwaku? Yes. Avid NFL fans and the consumers of their advertising. Thank you. That Does is that work? Real, yes. Because you don't like football, Jesse. No, I don't. Wait, are you saying that avid football fans heard the message? Oh, he's asking, asking if they did. Are you? Do you think that they did? Is yeah. that what you're saying? by him kneeling? Because mm. re- recently, the the commissioner of the league said we were wrong. Yeah, we did not realize this was an issue. I encourage which, a team to sign him. Which, yep. which, you know, when he's kneeling, not trashing anything. This isn't about like people dying. It was the most. It was one of the most American things I've seen in the last five years. Yep. I might challenge the idea that people actually heard though some people did i mean it definitely made me think about things but people within my network people that i grew up with from my hometown that i went to church with growing up they still see it as disrespecting the flag even though he's not doing anything to the flag do That's you think he problem. was disrespecting That's... the flag aaron no i didn't either. and you didn't served either. in our and you served in the military yes he was exercising his right to protest. The crazy thing is, it wasn't until recently that players were even on the field for the anthem. It be, yeah, because they signed a deal. Mm-hmm. Right. So why weren't they in an uproar when the the players were still just kicking back, getting a massage Locker. before the game or whatever? Oh man! Right. They should be out here being American with us. Where are those communist football players? Oh, I'm sorry. It's communist soccer players, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's, definitely soccer. That's the problem with such a, with such a, a huge part of of America and the and the way they perceive actions like that of Kaepernick is 
is that racism is so ingrained in America and Americans that when it is protested, many of these people think that they're not, they're protesting America itself. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw, I mean, I, I know this is an original thought on your part, but I literally saw that written some somewhere and it's a hundred percent right. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the, but, the, but the question was, did, did people hear it or did they get it? Um, <laughs> no. Right. No. Yeah. And I would, I would have added, did they get it like three years ago? Right. Like not, not are they getting it, but did they get it? Because now they're getting it, but we also just watched a man murdered on our phones again. Now we just watched a woman murdered on our phones. Now we just watched another man killed on our phones a couple of days ago when the video was released from Atlanta. Like, how many does it take? How many does it take? One of my, like, my icons, a person I look up to a lot is Greg Popovich, right? The coach of the San Antonio Spurs. And listening to him talk Which about team? this. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the Spurs, buddy. Go Spurs, go. Go Spurs, go. The equity project that is the San Antonio Spurs. And listening to Greg Popovich, 71, I think, years old, break down in the middle of talking about it, mm-hmm. crying with a feeling of anguish about how he just can't needs other white people to somehow try to put themselves in a position to try to understand that they have to do because black and brown people are the ones who have been doing it, who have been like shouldering everything was inspiring to me. Right. As he's talking about this, I, I pulled up lyrics again and I'll push, push us a little bit again. One of my favorite rage songs, and this is going to be a rage episode and that's okay. That's cool. I'm um, good with that. Is Down Rodeo. Yes, yes, yes. And, and I think there's a selfish thing and Kwaku, I know you're the guest here, but you and I have also talked about this. Yeah. Like, like we have been very good friends the last couple of years and part of us being good friends with a couple of other, like, you know, of our little crew comrades somehow people have been letting us into some spaces that like i don't think they really knew they were gonna like i don't think they really knew what they were getting when they were letting us into the space that we have been let into no Um, i don't think you guys knew when you invited me on by the way right right it's like i walked in and farted go on (laughs) and this song speaks to that you know like I, i i grew up in a place and with people that like I never thought I'd have platforms that I have. I never thought I'd be in buildings with spaces of people talking about things that I'm talking about. It's great. It's a blessing in so many ways. It's also increasingly, I am a delegate all the time. Mm. <clears throat> and I feel a burden and a, a responsibility of that increasingly all the time. Yeah. In, in Down Rodeo, there's a couple of lines. Um, and I'll read just a couple. And I'd love actually everybody's response if, if you guys have a thought. Uh, a chorus says can't waste a day when the night brings a hearse so make a move and plead the fifth because you can't plead the first so now I'm rolling down Rodeo with a shotgun these people ain't seen a brown skinned man since their grandparents bought one not that far removed that sounds violent 
It sounds violent. And so Jesse, you had kind of a visceral reaction there. What, you know, when, we, about when we asked about violence. Yeah. This is violent. And I, I just, and I'll, I'll hand it off in a second. My first time when I got hired to work at Stanford, I, I asked them if I could project these lyrics on the wall in a workshop with like 30 people. I said, I just am having this feeling and I want you to know, I feel like this is where I am and what I'm doing. I'm here and I'm rolling down Rodeo with a shotgun mm -hmm. in this fancy school that never wanted me when I was an undergrad. When I was in high school, this, this place didn't want me. And now here you are hiring me. This is kind of crazy feeling for me. And just so you know what I'm about, here I am in Rodeo, fancy Beverly Hills. I got a shotgun. So I know where I stand on the question. Jesse, you had that visceral reaction and I wonder, I wonder your thoughts. I don't, I don't have um, answers to these massive problems. I do not. Um, I also don't see um, violence as as a ideal means to an end. That's the best explanation I could say about about violence. Can I, can I actually, can I push you on that answer? You're like, I don't want you to, please don't. <laughs> oh, no, no, I, it's true. There is a part of me that would rather, they would rather uh, um, j just stick with my anti-violence, but also, yeah, yeah, push me, man. Push like, I, I'm here down. to listen. I, like, I, I'm down to listen and learn very much so. So to clarify the question, not that violence is the answer. Violence is the attention getter. Hmm? You know? The class isn't going to listen to you if you're like, all right, guys, we're going to talk about math. They're like, hey, guys, I'm going to show you this magic trick that empowers you to see numbers everywhere. This sounds like the cheesiest math lesson of all time. Is that LSD? <laughs> I mean, that was, that, was a, that was a drug reference. No, but seriously. <laughs> Everybody take a mushroom. Yes. We're gonna, this is called macro dosing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you, Joe Rogan podcast, and I raise right. you, Kwaku. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but the idea, it's not that violence is the answer, and this is how we get things done. But in our society, how do we get people's attention? And I'm talking um, uh, a, a lack of sensitivity to violence because we all have access to it in all these various ways. Um, a lack of sensitivity to, um, to struggle because it's really easy when, when you're in a society that has a downward slope. Um, in, in other words, it's like you're literally, we're like, we're climbing summits to try to climb up different class systems. Um, and so everything's working against you to keep you at a certain level or to keep, you know, there's less oxygen, there's less places to grip, the temperature's changing, you know, um, it's really easy to be like, all right, cool, I've carved out this little space, I'm going to stay here. And the only thing, I guess my point was, that, that snaps people out of that, it's like, oh, shit, that is crazy, or oh, shit, that could be me. And so, and, and I'm not, I'm not justifying anyone being violent. 
but understanding why people are like, yeah, well, we're going to have to burn this shit because that's the only way you hear us. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I appreciate the way that, that you pushed me and, and that you, you worded that. Like, it's not a, a condoning it, but it's an, it's an understanding. And I could say that I'm in a place where, where I understand it, but I also hope and wish that uh, it didn't, didn't have to come to that. Yeah, I mean, for, for people whose voices aren't heard to be heard, I wish it didn't have to come to that. Aaron, what about you? I don't like the violence. Um, I think when the people in power have so many um, ways to keep people down, like we talked about how we're not going to the city limits anymore and just slaughtering half of the class below us we're doing it in more um subtle ways right so like mm-hmm. people can't be like no you government you have to stop killing the peasants you can't do that anymore now it's just you guys got to work harder us white people worked hard look where we're at unfortunately i think um violence um in instances can be the only answer and I don't like it. Um, I wish that people had more equal footing to stand on and voice their opinions and be heard. But I don't think that that's truly a thing. I mean, if you look at how President Trump has responded to the protests and like he hasn't really addressed what people are asking for, he just keeps keeps repeating when the looting starts the shooting starts right and all he's talking about is the rioting and the looting and yeah that's an issue but he's not he's not talking to people aaron was talking about going out and slaughtering the peasants and stuff and i just want to take this opportunity to thank ronald reagan for creating hip-hop for the for all of us um and this is why because his version (laughs) of slaughtering the peasants was cutting all unnecessary funding you know like after school programs and arts programs and so and jesse you'll probably feel better about this in addition to violence the other way um we we get people's attention is through creating art and if reagan did not cut all those programs all of those kids who were working on graffiti um, hooking up turntables, they would have been in an after-school program doing something there. And the idea of, of of taking that frustration and putting it into creativity, which later on gets you know uh, turned into this big money-making machine, and and uh, and all of a sudden they're selling Cadillacs to <laughs> to hip-hop artists in the form of jewelry. You know, like back in the day, the blues artists they'd give them Cadillacs and they'd sign over their rights to their music. Um, you know, that, that's just part of the music business, but uh, that is a really good example of what a lot of the stuff, a, a lot of the expression that we're talking about, it came from. And that, you know, that is a direct tie-in to a lot of the lyrics that Zach T. LaRocca, you know, would write because you can, you can hear it in the stuff that he's listening to. And in that same era is when like the, the, the Rollins era of Black Flag is kind yep. of happening. Yep. It's a very famous punk rock like pivot point. Yep. And and our, our podcast is called The Punk Tree because really what we spend our time talking about a lot is sort of like 
there was this punk rock like burgeoning like the roots and the trunk and this like thing yeah and we spend most of our time talking about like and where has that gone um i think that like black flag to descendants to all to all these things in the punk rock side all stemmed out of an an american and i think hip-hop also for me and and i'm uh, uh, of the three of us i'm probably the biggest hip-hop fan of the three of us Mm um the 80s represented something i mean reagan's campaign slogan was make america great again like Mm -hmm. let's not forget that Mm -hmm. um but something like i think of a lot is that in the 80s and we were born into this there was sort of like a, a false achieved state of America. Like the eighties represented this sort of like, we have made it. We have yeah. arrived. Vietnam is so far in the past. Everyone owns a home. We're Everyone's all good. It was not true. <laughs> the CIA was dumping crack in black neighborhoods. We were like, it, it, it wasn't true. It just wasn't true, but it was true for certain people middle and upper middle class white people and wealthy people who like now we have reached an achieved state where capitalism has given you generational wealth comfort the market is like built for you all this thing on the mountain yes exactly and so like i look back at like where that was for me in terms of a musician and a music lover that like that pivot point in the early and mid 80s represents this super really significant time where all of a sudden like audio art which is what music is made this massive change from being like let's celebrate all of the things that we are to let's take a deep look and it had happened before bands like credence clearwater revival marvin Mm -hmm. gay like there's Mm -hmm. all this other stuff in our history that Mm -hmm. kind of was pushing us this way the 80s though were sort of like veiled like we have this like fake veil of 80s music being this like post-disco hairband fake thing that hides right and then that was promoted even because it was comfortable Mm -hmm. but what was actually happening was all of the stuff that dominates the airwaves from the like mid 90s until today Mm -hmm. what actually has been driving culture was not that fake glamorous thing we even called it glam rock it was but it was it was fake just like the hair was fake and the makeup was fake all of it Right. What really has driven culture was the punk rock, alternative, grungy, hip hop stuff from that era pushing all the way to today. And you can like trace those lines so like easily all the way till now. It's funny. You were talking about like um, punk bands. And I was just like, oh, that's the one I wanted to talk about. Fugazi. Nine songs. You know, you say 80s and I think Cyndi Lauper. Fugazi, you can draw a direct line from them to probably 90% of the rock music that people listen to in the 90s. Yeah. You know, and Rollins and Black Flag was part of that. Mm-hmm. But I remember being in college and hearing this and being like, why have I never heard of this group? This is amazing. And you're going off into like Jello Biafra, which is more spoken word stuff. But, you know, I mean, even Henry Rollins went in that direction too. But you're absolutely right. You know, whether it was um, Black Flag talking about Reagan over in the UK, they're all, all the bands were talking about Margaret Thatcher. There yep, were, yep. <laughs> you know, there were these uh, ruling classes, if you will. And then there were people willing to scream the truth 
in the faces of those ruling classes. I and love that, that Fugazi song. I'm so tired. Ex- oh. That Fugazi song. I'm so tired. There's a line in it that says, um, "He says I'm so tired," and he and it's like a reciprocal. It's a flip. He says, "Sheep are counting on me." I'm so tired. Sheep are counting on me. No more struggle. No more patient. You can write that down. It's all too crazy. Like it's there. The, the, it's Jesse to get back to, and I'm sorry, you're like the pacifist here, the four of us, like Aaron and you were actually similar. Like it's, it's almost like a, a fatalism for effect. Does that make sense? Like I'm gonna state the extreme in this. Like I, yeah. I this is ridiculous, and I can't even imagine dealing with this anymore. I am so far past the idea that I can rest and be peaceful that the sheep are counting on me. Mm. Which to me is like, man, that's a beautiful lyric. Are you guys are you guys all fans of Most Def? Your favorite rapper's favorite rapper? Of course. Love Most Def. So he has this album on his on his or this song, his first solo album called New World Water. And it, the the concept around the song is the idea that we're gonna reach a point where water becomes a real commodity. Ooh, we are there. Yeah, well, exactly. Like this came out in what, like ninety-nine. Um to be honest, I have a tape. Remember those? And it had, it had <laughs> remember those? And it had this album. And then the other side of the tape was um, Make Yourself by Incubus. Really mm. interesting juxtaposition. <laughs> Ooh, the warmth is so good. Isn't it though? Oh, so good. Um, so anyway, this is, this, is a, uh, this is a section of the song. New world water makes the tide rise high. Come inland and make your house go by. A little too scary for California, isn't it? Um, and this is a guy writing this from Brooklyn. Fools done upset the old man river, made him carry slave ships and fed him dead niggers. The violence, man. It's, <laughs> but not in this way where we're celebrating it, but where it's just like, it's creating these gotcha moments where it's like, oh, oh, wait a minute, that's me. New world water make the tide rise high. Come in, land and make your house go by. Fools done upset the old man river. Made him carry slave ships and fed him dead niggas. Now his belly full of Unfortunately, I think that is a turnoff to some people. Like they hear, like what you said. Um, I'm not going to repeat it because I can't. But um, <laughs> um, we talk about dropping dead people into the river. You know, like that's just like most people want that glam 80s rock not necessarily that but like music that makes you feel good you the bubblegum stuff that you, you can't dance, dance it's got to. a good beat um it's got a good beat <laughs> right so for most people you it either it turns you off because you want to you know dance and you know i just worked eight hours in my job yeah. where my boss was you know looking over my shoulder i gotta you know wind down a bit and then right. you have people who are like oh you can't put violence in songs because it's going to make our children violent. And I think as a parent now, I'm going to approach music far differently with my children than my parents did. Cause there's no way that like, like if I was playing kill the poor by the day Kennedy's, mm-hmm. my dad would come in there and just 
break that CD or tape mm-hmm. or whatever it was, like automatically, without even thinking about like, what does that song mean? What's Jello talking about? You yeah. Know? Why is this important in our society? Yeah. No, I I 100, 100% agree. And it's interesting when we, we now we're reaching this phase of being the ones who are the, the gatekeepers for our kids. Ooh. And I was, I was, you know, I was thinking about the other day where it's like, do I play hip, some hip hop songs for my kids that do have the N word in them or that have curse words in them? And there's this level, you know, my, they're younger, obviously they're, they're both under eight. Um, so there's a part of it where if it's not frozen, they're just not listening. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, but I do think it's important for them to have those touch points. So when they get older, they're just like, oh yeah, I heard this song and now I know what this means, you know, or, and I'll show it. My daughter's named after Nina Simone. And there's a, there's a reason Ooh. why, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because we want, you know, you're, if you're a female, you, the world is, the world is stacked against you in a certain way. I, I remember when I graduated from high school, um, the album Land of the Free, Land of the Free is a question mark, by Pennywise had come out mm-hmm. that year. And uh, my dad and I had come to an understanding about music, uh, maybe my sophomore year of high school or something like that. Um, he respected my music. He didn't always like the lyrics. He didn't like the profanity all the time, but he respected it. And that album came out and I, I remember being in my kitchen having a conversation about the chorus of the song Fuck Authority with my dad, which was terrifying to me in some ways, probably. I don't remember exactly. Um, but there's something about that song. Now, it's anarchist. And I would not say I'm an anarchist. Um, as Kwaku knows, I have I have a bit of somehow this thing has kind of caught on as like my catchphrase. I don't know how it happened, but like part of what I believe in my life is like like I see you, I hear you, I love you, I'm with you. Yeah. And I really like to ask the question: What do you want to build, bash, and beautify together? What do you want to build, bash, and beautify together? Most of my time is spent building and beautifying with students, with my friends. Jesse and I have been building and beautifying, I think, in many ways together for decades now um Kwaku, i think you and i like that's that's we build and we beautify whether it's relationships or it's other people or ideas yeah. the bashing part though is not a third b because i'm obsessed with threes which i kind of am in poetry and songwriting um but the bashing is real and and that chorus of that song and, and i'm not trying to push us back into the violence thing but I, I do want to speak just about rhetoric for a minute, which rhetoric and, and actual violence are different. I'm not talking about lighting cars on fire and breaking windows of businesses. Just the way we talk and what is acceptable civility, I think is a thing I'm wondering about. Um, the chorus says, I say, fuck authority, silent majority raised by the system now it's time to rise against them we are sick of your treason sick of your lies fuck no we won't listen we are gonna open your eyes fuck authority
As an 18-year-old, to consume that, and and it, probably something that was already burgeoning, right? It was already something that was growing inside of me. To launch out of out of being a kid into like I'm going to live on my own. I'm going away to college. I'm I'm like I'm doing that thing. This album was monumental in some ways for me, right? It was like a I, I was a Pennywise fan as a punk rock kid. Now I'm moving away. First year of college, I probably listened to as little music as I had ever listened to because college was hard for me my first year of college. Um, I was trying to learn how to speak white. It was difficult. I'm really good at it now. Uh, <laughs> and, and to declare that you believe the system is treasonous upon itself is quite the thing for a young person to try to like argue and compute. Kwaku, I, I didn't know where we we're going to go, you know, I, and we actually brought in a lot of music. Like we, we talked about quite a bit of music throughout that. Um, I know you also um, have your own podcast, which I'd love to just throw a, throw a little like bite out about that. Thank you. If you're willing. Uh, yeah, we, um, it's myself and my buddy Otto and it's called Radio Zamunda because a lot of people thought that Zamunda was actually an African country. <laughs> It's right next to Wakanda, right? Exactly, exactly. They share they share the the vibranium um, lines, <laughs> but it's um, actually a reference to coming to America because that's uh, the fictional country that Eddie Murphy's from, um, and it is not too far removed from this, where um, my buddy he's an actor and and he and I will trade off bringing people onto the podcast and nobody knows who or like the other guy doesn't know who the guest is. And so let's this week, we just recorded one this week. I brought this guy on who's this, uh, who is a hip hop artist and he's, he's brilliant. And he does that whole David Bowie thing where he would, he with, um, see how I'm doing this? I'm trying to tie it all uh -huh. together. Um, but he does uh, like, uh, what is it like found audio or where he like splices yeah. together audio as part of his like beat making process. And so Otto doesn't know anything about him. He doesn't even know his name. And the podcast is him asking this guy questions and sort of finding out about his creative process and why I thought he was so amazing to bring him to the podcast. And so we just trade off doing that. So we have musicians, we have artists, we have actors. Um, well, one of Otto's friends started a business around creating CrossFit apparel. And so that guy was on. It's anyone that is doing something that's interesting in some space um, that we want to share. So it's almost like uh, if I were to liken it to this podcast, I'm sure you guys talk about records or talk about bands. And so we do the same thing with people and then we bring the people on. Very cool. Ra Radio Zamunda. Radio Zamunda. And so, all right, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to be a little serious. You can see it's a struggle. Yeah. We are, um, we are, we are at the point and I'm going to tie this into what Jesse said, uh, said earlier, where we really, especially as educators, as, as fathers, as men, um, so having a level of dominance within the society based upon its flaws, where we really have to be empowering others and teaching them to recognize their power and use it effectively. And it doesn't have to be violently, 
but it does have to be effectively, whether it's organ whether it's organized, whether it's, um, uh, as Mike phrased it so eloquently, speaking the white man's tongue, whatever it is to essentially connect, redirect, and maybe even restructure a lot of what's happening. And, and as um, a person of color, I'll be perfectly blunt, I'm a little skeptical of all of the um, newfound support. Not in the sense I don't think people believe it, but I think that something else incredibly tragic or ridiculous will happen and then the attention will be shifted to that. And that, that's my fear where it's like, all right, this is great, people are into this. There's a lot of organization, there was a lot of realistic asks, but is this, does this have staying power? You know, is this a movement that people will actually read about in history books? And then that's when this law was passed. And, you know, is that really gonna happen? I don't know, because I've never actually seen that happen. And I have seen a lot of black people killed, um, whether it be, you know, going back to like 92 with, uh, what's his name, Rodney King, he wasn't killed, but they, they beat the shit out of that dude. Um, you know, so it's like, this is something I've just grown up with. And it feels like all of a sudden people are like, whoa, it's at the cab moment again. <laughs> that really happens. So I'm not super optimistic, but at the same time, I do think it's still, it's a really uh, important time, especially as educators to whether you're, whether you're working with kids of color and explaining to them what their black gold is and why they're powerful or, or brown gold or whatever it is, what, whatever ethnicity you are, or if you're not, if you're working with, with kids uh, who are part of the dominant culture and explaining to them, this is what your responsibility is. This is why you're on third base. And it's, it's fine. I'm not holding this against you, but realize that. And understand if you have a, the opportunity to empower somebody else, do it. I'll put for sure. Wow. Dude, you just did it. Kwaku, thank you so much, man. Thank you thank so you much for, for being on. Uh, we, we like in person when we can hang in person again with that i am so excited to hang out with you in person i really am also i we have we have been honestly like kind of like twiddling our our thumbs with some annoyance and some fever trying to figure out how to have a conversation about this yeah um you know i think the music tradition we come from is steeped in wanting to be both on the right side of history Mm -hmm. um, but also steeped in wanting wanting a better everything um, and that can come across as aggressive and it can come across as ridiculous a lot of times like um i think hip-hop is the same way yeah yeah uh, there are so many parallels um and so uh as we were thinking of like who, who can we talk to i just i respect i respect your voice so much and um i really thank you for it uh, thank thank you for having I mean this is a, a podcast is almost like a kid because you work on it and you're like hey guys you know it's like you're married to three, two of your friends as opposed to your wife um, but it's a precious thing and so I appreciate you guys sharing this space literally with me with vice I hold a mic device with force I keep it away of course and I'm keeping we want to thank our our friend Kwak Oning for coming on on the show we hope you all enjoyed um, and hopefully felt uh, the intention, the purpose behind our conversation. Uh, our show is, is about the history of, of something we love. And part of the reason that we love it um, is that 
punk rock music and the punk rock tradition is unafraid of these conversations. And I, I hope that you will be as well. I hope you'll have conversations with friends, with family, about Black Lives Mattering, about systems in our society that have oppressed people for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so from us to you, um, we hope you enjoyed the episode. We have another one coming out really soon. We actually took a little bit of an aside um, to make sure we got this episode out as quickly as possible. Um, and so you'll see another one from us this week as we, uh, we chat with a really great new band, um, new band to us who has a new album coming out uh, this week. Uh, called American Arson, and so look for that coming out really soon. Otherwise, thank you for listening to The Punk Tree. Be excellent to each other. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.